Hello, and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and with me, as always, is our Vice President of Policy, Derek Cohen. Derek, session where we got 19 days left, 18 days left? But who's counting? Yeah, we're getting uh, we're getting down to, you know, single digits, uh, single yeah. digits soon enough. Everybody's still looking good, feeling good, still feeling ready to go to the end of the session? I don't know about that. I don't know if they were in the first place, though, either. So well, I think it'll be interesting. It'll well, be we've interesting, got a packed, absolutely packed show today. We'll get to it. First, I just want to get your thoughts on something um, that I read uh, today. The Georgia Bulldogs football team, the national champions, uh, have decided not to go to the White House. Why, why can't we have nice things? Everything's got to be political, right? Like they, right. they say that it's about um, that it's about COVID, but that seems like an odd thing uh, these days to, for a reason not to go or scheduling or mm-hmm. no, no, I take it back. What previously people hadn't gone since LSU had right. uh, had gone, and the reason why is because of COVID. Now they're saying that it's scheduling. They said, okay, well, let's have another date, and they said, you know, all of our dates uh, aren't. And it just feels yeah. like everything everything's got to be politics now, and it can't, you know, we can't people can't just go and experience and have fun at the White House. Well, what day are you free? Well, I can't. I'm washing my hair that day. Well, yeah. you didn't give me a day. That's what, yeah, exactly. Um, but no, you're exactly right. This is one of those things where. Back in our day, and I think we're both probably old enough that we can say that I we had the a 80s. day. <laughs> yeah. Um, back in our day, you know, it was, you know, even if you dis- or, uh, disagreed with the politics of, of the of the office holder, you would still do that because that is the highest executive office in the nation. Right. And, you know, even if you don't like, you know, President Trump, President Obama, whomever might be in that office, you would go because the invite in itself is the honor, not the individual bestowing the the invitation on you. I just I just worry that everything is becoming political now. But the real question is, the real reason I brought it up is, where should they go? If we can't go to the White House now and teams can't go and hold up their jersey and celebrate the fact that they won a, a great championship, right. where should teams go? Well, the Super Bowl winner has Disney World on lockdown, right? Okay, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, we can't, yeah, can't have that. Uh, so I'm thinking like, you know, for a, the winning the college football playoffs, maybe Universal Studios, you know, you can mm. do the, the Harry Potter thing. All right. Um, or, uh, yeah, maybe a local uh, a local water park. You know, you never we'll have Georgia Day at Schlitterbahn or something. There we go. I like it. Let's, let's promote Schlitterbahn as a, as a way to go. Um, anyway, you enter the code uh, Brian and Derek and the Schlitterbahn <laughs> landing page. 20% off yes. if you're a national champion <laughs> in something. All right. All right. Well, let's get to the serious stuff. Um, as always, I like a little uh, shameless promotion at the very top of our show. Um, we have a fantastic... Fantastic a newsletter that goes out every Thursday. It's called The Post. You can find it at texaspolicy.com slash The Post. Um, and it's everything that we talk about during the week. It's everything that, you know, all of our hot takes and, and bad jokes on um, – uh, on things going on around Texas, and there's always something non-political at the end that's kind of fun that we like to hit. So we'd love you to sign up for that, texaspolicy.com slash The Post. All right. Packed show today. What mm. we're going to talk about the border. We've got to talk about the border and everything that's mm. going on there. Emer- de- um, several cities, three cities, have declared an emergency already, even before Title Forty Two is uh, is no longer the law of the land. Uh, we've got Texas. We'll we'll segue right into what the Texas legislature is doing on that. They passed uh, the House did that passed border security legislation uh, yesterday. Um, Republicans. There are some Republicans now that have that have gone outside of uh, what you might think and want to do a the raise the age to buy rifles mm-hmm. uh, that was that was a big story this week so we'll chat about that I know being criminal justice being your background you've got some hot thoughts on that um, the hottest. 
Yeah, um, real sad story um, out of Texas. Unfortunately, a parent's worst nightmare that their that their first grader was subjected to uh, sexual assault. But but the really awful thing is that the schools made it worse. And so uh, we don't necessarily need to talk about the gruesome details of that story. But what I mean, there is legislation going through Cong- through uh, the. Um, the uh, capital right now, which would actually apply to that and, and hopefully have made that or prevent those situations from happening. We'll chat about that. And then we will end on some good news. A bill that passed uh, this week in the House um, and already passed in the Senate. Um, and I think that means it's going to the to the governor's for the governor's signature, but it would give patients more information about what things cost, uh, essentially give them an itemized receipt. We'll talk about that and uh, why that's good for patients. But first, as always, we'll kick it off. Uh, Derek, give us your Ledgeland update. Um, as I mentioned in my column this week, uh, if you are not of the, you know, if you if you don't like watching the sausage being made, uh, this would be the week to avert your eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we're recording this here on, you know, right before afternoon on Thursday, uh, which uh, for everyone who is, you know, in this orbit is a, is a special day for those who celebrate. Today is the day that all house bills must be read on second reading or they are functionally dead. And so we have a, you know, we've talked about uh, chubbing. We've talked about, you know, how long the uh, the calendars get. Today we have a 20-page calendar. And so there's a lot of folks who have, um, uh, who have bills uh, further on down the calendar. You know, I, I put up a, a thing in our... Uh, you know, in our in, in teams, uh, asking you know, p- wait, 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 in where you think the uh, where you think um, the, the calendar is going to end when so, the clock. So you've started. got a poll about which page will yeah. end up on those twenty pages by yeah. the end of the day. And and, and I my, my personal uh, my personal uh, bet was seven. Uh, one of the more uh, I would say probably how do I want to. Uh, classify Austin Prochko more dour about the process mm-hmm. <laughs> said page three you know as a, <laughs> as a relative newbie yeah. watching this process yeah. they can move through some bills I mean there's, yeah, there is kind they, of, a, of, of a rhythm to it mm-hmm. once they get going but if there's not a lot of um, a debate or a lot of discussion or, or um, a disagreement I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm looking for uh, on some of these bills they can they can really move through them you know yeah uh, yes and no because if you look at just what we started what, what we saw kick off really I would say in earnest this week, but it had been happening, you know, prior to was the chubbing. And, you know, there'd be an innocuous bill. And even on local and consent, there were chubbing bills on local and consent, which you got to be careful because if you talk for more than 10 minutes, it automatically gets popped. Yeah. And so it was funny because they were doing that little song and dance on local and consent. And I was saying an enterprising representative should have gone up there and said, oh, you just talked for this bill on this bill for eight minutes. But while you were doing that, that raised about two minutes worth of questions that I have. And then, you know, I mean, it wouldn't expend the calendar, extend the calendar all that much. And then that would be the, you know, the analog of, you know, what ends up in finding out. And so, so there's some, some mm-hmm. procedural retaliation that can happen for abusing or using, depending on your perspective, uh, the rules to delay and, and, uh, uh yeah. And of, and of course the, you know, the, the house and the rules, you know, specifically forbids like dilatory, uh, speeches and, and whatnot. But that being said, is of course it happens anyway mm-hmm. and and not only that but one of the funnier lighter items of the week i should say is one of the uh one representative who popped a bill on a on a point of order uh, then came or the one whose bill got popped came back and popped the other ones on the exact same point of order and that was 
you know, it was, it was humorous, but, uh, you know, the very, they, they seemed in good spirits popping each other's bills. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's it's an interesting sociological experiment, to say I the just, least. You know, and not to go on a big rant uh, about this, but, you know, especially being, like I said, kind of a newbie to the whole process on my third or fourth uh, watching this, it just seems like, you know, they, they create a, a ton of pressure towards the end, mm. you know, a 20-page bill or 20-page calendar of bills mm. when, you know, at the beginning of the process, you know, not, to say nothing of the 60 day you know waiting period at the very beginning of session but even once we get past the the um the 60 day period or sorry 60 yeah 60 day period um it just seems like there's a uh, stuff at the front end where there's just so much wasted time um that i think for you know a casual observer of this process uh, might get a little frustrated that they don't take it more seriously at the front end and try to move right. some of these bills particularly the ones that that don't have a lot of um uh disagreement and controversy well a- absolutely and then if especially if you look at that that first calendar that was set. Now, keep in mind, again, a lot of people pointed out to that first, oh, I think it was four or five bill calendar, whatever the uh, case might be. And it had some bill that was just, you know, that really advanced uh, the needs of the state by making sure that we appropriate label Texas honey. And that honey from Texas must be wholly derived from right. Texas apiaries. I'm or sure whatever. it's important. Well, well, now that it's, well, now that it's taken, the long national nightmare of mislabeled <laughs> Texas honey is finally over. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's one of those things where it's, you know, I mean, you know, it's obviously an industry bill, so cottage industry in this case, but, you know, yeah, right. an industry bill. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's those frustrations are not without merit because we're sitting there having these protracted debates on things that even you know the left and the right can agree are important items of legislation. Meanwhile, we're making sure that we can open certain fireworks retailers on Diwali. Yeah, so it just it, it can be it can be frustrating, um, you know, to see that we only have you know ninety days or so um, of 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 time to pass this, and so you get to the very end like this, and it's like, well, why weren't we discussing these really important bills, you know, six weeks ago or whatever? Well, the, so, the, uh, <clears throat> let me just really quickly to say that, that that there's when you get that first calendar of bills that seem like nothing burgers, it's because the process to get those to that calendar committee and get that set to the calendar are largely it, it's, it's largely completely unabated mm-hmm. because again who's going to you know do, do we have like you know big mislabeled honey coming in or big don't have fireworks on Diwali coming in to uh, you know oppose these bills no and so like that's usually tends to be why you see more of the innocuous bills getting towards the mm-hmm. front is because there's just no there's no headwind at all. Now over in the Senate, and you make this point all the time that you know they they technically have deadlines, but they're sort of more like suggestions, and that's <laughs> just sort of a product of the fact that Republicans have a supermajority over there, and of course you can always suspend the rules um, uh, with a supermajority. Um, I, I think it's interesting because um, the, there's certain because the rules are suspended because everyone knows that, and mm-hmm. the rules are routinely suspended um, as a way to get things done. There's almost sort of a, an odd comfort in the certainty that that you know bills aren't as dead in the mm. Senate as they are they you know hard and fast as they are in the house it's sort of an odd thing mm. to, to depend on that certainty of suspending mm. the rules despite the yeah. fact that the rules are the rules well and, every, and then you know this is where folks who aren't getting their way in the Senate tend to point it to point out oh well this is you know tyranny and you know there's it's just an arbitrary rule and it's like you do realize the suspending of the rules is something that is basically kept in place to empower the minority so right, it's one of those right. things where it, it's it's you know you need you need democrat votes or the process or the process doesn't work and then you're gonna have to deba- debate uh senator hall's blocker bill mm-hmm. um and so it's one of the things that 
again, if uh, you know how they say a little knowledge is dangerous. Well, this is the thing: <laughs> is like people that just have like just tuned in this week, you know, now have you know all these hot takes, and you're just like. Uh, that probably yeah. describes most of my knowledge about the about the procedures and the rules and the, thing, the way things work up the legislature. So <laughs> I guess I'm dangerous in that respect. Very um, much so. <clears throat> all right. Well, let's get to the top topics of the day. We've got a lot to cover because I want to hit it. But the first two, obviously, you know, we have to talk about the border this week. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about what's going on down there. Um, kind of the jumping off point for this is that you've already got three cities. El Paso, Laredo, and Brownsville, whose mayors have already declared an a, uh, emergency, um, and this was last week. I mean, this wasn't even you know this wasn't even this week. Uh, we have seen just the, the the endless video of people streaming you know into this country uh, unabated. You know, some di- disappearing forever, others giving themselves up and manipulating our asylum system. Um, but we know that that, that this is all being um, encouraged by uh, the the ending of Title Forty Two and for the I'm, you know, for the political nerds on that watch this program, you all know what that is. Um, <clears throat> but, but you know, this uh, this idea um, that you know that it's all gonna—I mean, it's all gonna explode. You know, sometime today or sometime over the next couple of weeks, we're talking about ten thousand or more a day uh, coming in uh, to the, to this country, overwhelming our resources. Um, and and what you know, what can Texas do about it? Just just from the thirty thousand foot right. level, um, you know. What do you see happening over the next month or so in terms of uh, how Texas's response or these border communities uh, being overtaken by you know massive amounts of illegal immigrants? Well, I mean that's a very good question because you've seen the House's plan of attack on that HB twenty uh, go down on a point of order, and you know it's one of the things where it's not that surprising because some individuals in the legislature specifically ones who fancy themselves more bomb throwers uh basically don't have any solution themselves other than just doing nothing and so rather than trying to put out an improved bill they'll tear down the bills that that exist now Mm -hmm. for those of you for those who have not been watching um the actual um HB 20, the meat and the potatoes of it, the the border protection unit and some of the other things uh, were amended onto uh, HB 7 and HB 7 did pass. And so that at least has a vehicle moving that can reasonably be said to be advancing. Uh, Now it's in the Senate, but reasonably have cleared, you know, the first major hurdle. Mm -hmm. That is necessary, but not sufficient to answer, answer the problem. Again, at the end of the day, the problem is we have such a porous border, and it is, and, it, and there's no other word to describe it. It is porous. That individuals can come across either at ports of entry or between ports of entry, and basically be given a court date sometime in the future, sometimes some electronic monitoring, and then just disappear into the in- interior of the country. Now, you and I have discussed this. I'm one who's generally pro-immigration and maybe even pro-expanded legal immigration. But we can't even have this discussion. We can't even have this discussion because there's absolutely no incentive to do the process correctly. You know, and I'm not talking the citizenship problems. I'm just talking, come, you know, getting a visa and coming in. Right. There's no, there's no reason to do that correctly when you can just literally walk across the border and we're not enforcing uh, through our, you know, business practices here in the state. We're not enforcing any sort of, um, not enforcing any sort of, uh, compliance with uh, any of that either. And so, yeah, Title 42 was a useful thing in that regard when it was uh, when it was used. But at the end of the day, it, w- it forced 
the administration to do just a little bit of its job. And that's the problem is just how derelict that mm-hmm. has been, how derelict how how derelict the uh, administration. And, and to be honest with you, this isn't just this administration. The Trump administration definitely uh, had a more clo- forward-facing closed border policy, but there were still things that it could have done. You know, it could have, you know, he, he ran on the wall, right? And there still were ways that that could have gotten done, both within partnerships with the states and unilaterally at the federal level. Now, granted, he tried to move money around from DOD to mm-hmm. accomplish all well, that. Probably wasn't the best way of doing it. But that being said, is there were other options available. And obviously, going back, Obama uh, and Bush prior to him, you know, the numbers weren't necessarily as bad, but they were on that upward trajectory back at that point. Right. You're, you're making a good point. This is not a new policy. And you had the DHS secretary come out this week, Senator, or, um, sorry, Secretary. Secretary Mayorkas and say, look, this is a problem of, of both parties. This is a failure of of multiple Congresses going back multiple decades. Um, and he's not wrong. He's right. absolutely right. He's not wrong. But when you look at the numbers, it has got exponentially worse under the Biden administration because right. almost from the very beginning, one of the first actions that he had within the first week was to reverse a lot of the Trump era things because he said he would do that during the campaign without actually evaluating that those were the things that were uh, that were keeping uh, um, that were at least keeping to some degree uh, the immigration problem at bay. It was still a major cr- uh, crisis, but it didn't explode until until after he did those. We've talked about multiple pieces that the that the Biden administration reversed that, that Trump had put into place. Um, and Title 42, of course, was one of the things that he he agreed uh, to, to push back. One thing I do want to get into, which you, you, you talked about briefly, is the state response to right. this and that there was a package or is a there still technically exists a package of border security bills um, that you know that take various approaches to trying to secure the border or trying to uh, uh, more than anything provide more resources at the border uh, whether that's um, through the courts and trying to adjudicate some of these uh, asylum cases um, you've got more resources and more legal authority to go after the cartels or to go after those who would collude with the court the elitists who would collude with the cartels the Mexican elites you know we've talked about uh, um, going after um, the assets that those folks would have in Texas to try and and uh, discourage their cooperation with the cartels. All of those are, are still out there. The main one, though, that got most of the, the attention uh, that you mentioned was HB 20, and it was the creation of the Border Protection Unit. Um, and for, you know, whatever you think about the creation of that unit or how it was created, um, it did pass. It was eventually added to HB 7, and it did pass, which I think sends a very strong message um, even if it's, you know, some call it toothless, some just say it's weaker. Um, but but at any rate, it still it still reinforces the fact that Texas has the right uh, to defend its own border, that right. if the de- that if the federal government is not going to do something that the people of Texas do not have to just sit there and take a punch in the face day after day after day, that we can, in fact, uh, use our resources and use. Um, our own authority and our own sovereignty uh, to to go um, and 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 try and create you know more resources at the border uh, to protect our communities and so I think that's what we're trying to do. The last word has not been said on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, there's going to be there are still Senate bills that have been passed that uh, you know they can use to conference uh, and and try and figure out um, how to make these bills better. Uh, but I think just in general, I think that the the legislature did a good job of addressing the fact and reinforcing the fact that Texas can and has the rights uh, to defend its own borders. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we need innovation in this space, not 
necessarily because this is, you know, a, a, a problem that uh, a problem that we're just this close to the solution from. We need innovation in this space because, again, we have a derelict administration and we have we have a derelict executive going back um, administrations who just doesn't who doesn't want to do the job of seal, sealing the bar. Now, of course, nothing's ever going to get done perfectly. You're going to have visa overseas. You're going to have all that that litany of other things. But if we can't stop the most simple part of it, where it's individuals walking across the border between ports of entry, often very close to ports of entry, but between ports of entry, then why even bother with any of the other? Why not just go with fully open borders then? That's not me suggesting that as a policy <laughs> proposal, but I'm just saying this this performance art that we're engaging in is only slightly better than that. Mm -hmm. And it's costing billions and billions of dollars, um, and we still have a crisis, and we've got, you know, we've got... I, I understand <coughs> Chicago's almost at its breaking point. Oh, right, yeah, with 8,000 eight, 8, uh, mm -hmm. uh, illegal migrants that we've bust up there is, is going gonna, is gonna to break the city of Chicago. Um, you know, the, la the last thing I'll say on this is that, you know, we should give credit uh, at least to the governor uh, for, for Operation Lone Star, mm -hmm. uh, certainly the collection of all the, the drugs that they've confiscated, the folks that they've apprehended, um, uh, you know, I mean, and despite all of that, we, we still have this this major crisis. So I can only imagine had we not gone through with that operation and not committed uh, those hundreds of millions uh, of dollars of resources, uh, how much worse it would even be uh, today. But still, you know, it's it's just it's a drop in the bucket, really, uh, compared to what we're about to see. But I would, I would do it and point out that that the floor debate was interesting, wherein uh, certain members of the Democratic caucus, who obviously had issues with the Border Protection Unit um, segment of the bill, uh, aired that by lavishing praise on uh, DPS. Um, which, uh, again, somebody should have moved to have that reduced to writing and put in the journal where we actually had uh, DPS praised as gold standard by uh, liberal Democrats. That that would be very interesting and out of character for them. Uh, that just reminds me of the video. I mean, I'm not sure if you saw the video of DPS officers actually literally preventing people from coming up the, the embankments mm. um, and illegally coming into this country. I mean, so it is happening there at the border. There is going to be uh, at least uh, some, someone there standing there uh, preventing folks from, from coming in and and you know uh, really uh, addressing all of that okay so we could probably do more on the border i mean it really is gonna be a problem we'll probably have next week for sure kind of the response and see see what's happened here uh but do you want to get to a, a few more issues um one of, of that was particularly interesting um obviously um there's there's been a lot of push for you know from the left for gun restrictions mm -hmm. uh this session um you know they're they're <clears throat> with the tragedies that have happened in texas and multiple areas, but of course the, the the major one being Uvalde. We've right. had the you know the grieving parents that have come up and really made the case for more gun restrictions. The one in particular that they seem to be all rallying around is the raise the age. So mm -hmm. raising the age from 18 to 21 for someone to be able to buy a rifle or maybe a specific kind of rifle. You can tell us a little bit more about that. Um, but what are your thoughts on this? I mean, right. you the, the, raise the age is not something that's new. Uh, it's been around for a long time. In fact, it's been tested we'll talk about that in a little bit has actually been struck down by the courts already and in, in, of all places the most liberal circuit court in america uh, out on the west coast um but just in general your thoughts on raise the age and whether or not that's a good piece of policy well i, I think you need to take a look at it and the it, it doesn't occur in a vacuum obviously uh, the uvalde incident 
uh, was perpetrated with uh, such weapons by an individual who was 18 years of old, uh, 18 years of age. And so you go, oh, okay, well, let's ban uh, ban that uh, because then you know if we ban it from those age, you know, because allow me to give uh, the best argument the opposition would say, or I guess the supporters of that particular bill would say is that look you know your brain's not fully cooked when you're uh, when you're 18 years old I, I i can't speak for you uh brian but i know that when i was 18 <laughs> years old i was uh not you know probably not the the most calculated individual making the best use of my executive function uh you know like literally other 18 year old guy mm-hmm. out there um and they said well if you have these weapons that could be so dangerous then why are we allowing 18 year olds to access this and it's and it makes and, and it make it has this curb appeal. It makes mm-hmm. sense. And again, we'll get into the the, the, the And legal to be fair, yeah. there's polling on this. It says the majority of Texans would agree with that position. Yeah. But <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the reality in which this occurred in the Texas legislature. So before you know, obviously there was a whole bunch of activism uh, in this. There were a bunch of individuals who allowed themselves to be made uh, props of uh, of certain uh, interested parties. Uh, and they they flooded the act uh, flooded the Capitol, you know, yelled, hoot and hollered, created a scene, um, and at the, and none of the bills moved out of the out of the community uh, community safety uh, committee, and so we get to the you know the deadline on Tuesday, I believe it was, uh, where all bills need to have been reported favorably from committee in order to even by their own estimation have that and at this point no bill had been voted out and so obviously under intense pressure uh, chairman Guillen had agreed to uh, set 2744 which is the one you're referring to mm-hmm. for a hearing they voted that out i believe it was eight to five and a lot of people are you know quick to blame the two republicans who um who who went uh, went with the vote? Who voted aye? And that was uh, Justin Holland and uh, Sam Harless. And the thing is, it, again, the people that on both sides really that are looking at this, they they feel the fixes in against me, you know. And so that's what they project onto this. I would I would wager money that those individuals who voted the way they did were encouraged to do so by certain people were encouraged to do so knowing full well that that bill when it was voted out was already dead not already dead in the senate not oh i don't know if it'll make it in the house floor. it was procedurally dead before it even came up for a vote it would have needed to have been voted out of that committee especially something that contentious weeks prior not not, not a day prior not a week prior but weeks prior and so it gets voted out the report doesn't even get into calendars. I'll have to check. Uh, I'll have to check on TLO, but not even in time before the calendar meeting to set the calendars for the rest, or until the House bills are are expired, which mm-hmm. we're at today. And so they weren't even to a place where they could set that. Mm-hmm. And nowhere in if that goes to calendars, the chairman of calendars voted no on it. It goes to calendars. Obviously, some of the members of calendars are going to tag it because it's a, well, it's a bad bill to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Mm-hmm. And there was just no ability for that to get to the floor. But every if you look at the national discussion on this, you know, hooting and hollering on the Democrat side saying, "Oh, this can happen even in Texas." And I it I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm going to go off here. I'm, I'm a little bit disgusted. I'm a little bit disgusted mostly because the people that found this vote politically convenient for them 
preyed on grieving families. They put it out there that this was going to happen. Now, again, policy-wise, I have misgivings with the bill. I do not begrudge anyone who lost a child in a tragedy for not reading the fine print or the bill analysis or the fiscal note or any of that stuff. Of course. I obviously have no problem with that. And to be honest with you, I think that victims, well, I'll be the first from the criminal justice standpoint to say, victims are not monolithic. They don't all want the same thing. Some victims want, you know, have a very Christian perspective on uh, someone who did them wrong uh, and w- and wish to you know forgive. There's others who want to see that people hung up by their toes. Mm-hmm. We can't paint it as a broad picture. Be that as it may, the people that found this politically convenient were pushing this particular bill and the vote on it as look this is we're, we're we're having effect you know now you know i saw an email bless you we're doing this it's actually happening donate to moms demand action you know and all right. that stuff and it's, it's it's so disgusting because again it knowing that when it was voted out it was procedurally dead by the house's own rules mm-hmm. yet here we are trying to there i said we not us but like other groups were fundraising off of it saying mm-hmm. oh the dam's breaking in texas and it's not even on a bill, again, constitutionality aside, it's not even on a bill that would have guaranteed that folks would have been alive. It may it may have delayed the eventual event in Uvalde. You know, it may have delayed. You know, and I have the, the, the same concerns, but just more from the from the policy side or the legal yeah. side of it is that, you know, this is giving those families false hope that, yes. that Texas is going to be, you know, quote unquote, doing something right. uh, that would have prevented that tragedy from happening, giving him false hope on the one sense procedurally because the bill is obviously not going anywhere. But even if it did, even if somehow some magic, you know, wand uh, allowed this bill to get to the governor's desk and he was and he was willing to sign it, mm. bills like this have already already been deemed unconstitutional. I mean, there is there is no way... Well, from those radical <clears throat> right-wing ideologues in the Ninth Circuit. And the Ninth Circuit, you know, which yeah. is the most liberal circuit, because it's very clear that the way the bill is written or that the way that the policy works is, is that you are denying a young adult. Like, again, to your point, if we want to have a discussion about who is an adult and who is not an adult, that's a much different discussion that has much larger implications for all kinds of things, not to mention our military. and We can and, raise the age to vote. I mean... Or voting <laughs> yeah. and, and, and all kinds of things. But we have have decided that that the date that the age of adulthood is 18 and you can't deny someone if they're an adult their constitutional rights simply by being 19 versus being 25 or 26 years old right. and that's very clear it's what the the, the ninth circuit said um, um that you know there are reasons right. you can deny someone their constitutional right to bear arms i right. mean if they're a felon and there's all mm-hmm. kinds of reasons mm-hmm. there but but being 19 years old or being 20 years old is simply not one of them it is yeah. patently unconstitutional so to your point about the procedural stuff, I mean, that is horrendous for them to yeah. use uh, the um, uh, these families as props in that and, way. And I agree, and I agree <clears throat> with you on, on your analysis as well. It's just that one was the closest weapon to hand given the argument. Yeah, absolutely. But even if they could get it through, even if they had started at the very beginning of this, there's no way that this bill ever, I mean, even if it becomes law, there's no way that it ever stays law. It would be challenged immediately and it would be, um, and it would be struck down mm. uh, because it is clearly... Uh, unconstitutional. So to me, that's that was really the the offensive thing about this is yep. that policymakers should know this. Policymakers do know this, mm-hmm. uh, um, but they're they're you know they're pushing it for other reasons, uh, which are are most likely political in nature, and mm-hmm. that's and that's pretty sickening. Yeah, and I mean it's if 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 there was a good faith motivation on behalf of those who want to enact gun control to get this done, 
they would have had other things in that realm uh, that would have been like intermediate steps that they could have. Mm-hmm. But every everything is anti second and, and everything's anti Second Amendment maximalism all the time, mm-hmm. right? And I and I think that you know on the right, you know, and I'll I'll be the first to admit as the guy who handles our our gun work here, I think we default to a opposition on the right before we even have the conversation and that does us a disservice because we can't get the correct information out there mm-hmm. on why we're at where we're at but that being said is there was no intermediate steps being proposed you know uh, for example if you wanted to do uh, get rid of that that weapons ownership uh, from 18 to 20 18 to 20 year olds why would you not entertain, say, a waiting period for that particular age bracket, right? Mm-hmm. And so nobody was doing that. It's all close the gun show loophole, ban these weapons, you know, do this, uh, make, uh, you know, private transfers have to go through NICs. All that stuff, you know, is all that. that there's no, like, intermediate step, like right. maybe even a Texas background. And things right? that would pass constitutional muster, things that have right. already become law, things that would have bipartisan support, right. none of that. It just goes right to the most extreme. Yeah, and, and and it's always and it's always restrictions or you know restricting a class of uh, of otherwise law-abiding people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing we talk about with the pistol brace, right? You know, it's overnight because they don't turn around these tax stamps like in you know <laughs> you know in, in weeks. Um, overnight, we just created a class of you know tens, if not hundreds of thousands of felons of folks who have that on rifles that have barrels that are below. 16 inches mm-hmm. and again these are the arbitrary lengths that we do that we exist in under our regulatory structure on, on firearms and everyone says oh well it's the NRA it's the NRA I have to say again it's not the NRA the NRA does, the, the NRA does not vote but you know who does vote the millions of members of the NRA mm-hmm. and if they're joining an, an organization like the NRA they're probably they probably have amongst their animating issues guns mm-hmm. You know, and so I think I will that, give credit yeah. to there was a Dallas Morning News story actually about that. And of course, the headline was, you know, the real reason why, you know, Texas gun laws, why we can't pass any new Texas uh, or new gun laws in Texas. And of course, I was expecting to open it up and it would say, ah, the NRA. But, but it actually said it said, look, it's it's the people who vote. Mm-hmm. It's the people, you know, particularly it kind of pushed it. You know, this was Republican primary voters or the people, you know, who are running the Republican Party, you know, all those things aside. But at least it said it's the voters. It's the fact that, that there is popular support uh or popular opposition against these laws, and that's why the members don't pass them. And let me just one really quickly yes and that, because I remember taking a look at this. Uh, I believe it was, it might have been when Trump was elected, and it might have, or it might have been 18, I can't remember. I can't remember which year it was. But if you look at, like, the endorsements by, say, you know, the activist Bloomberg groups and that whole constellation about who got money, who was endorsed, is that they actually took a hit you know those those districts. This is before redistricting. That those members took it. The, the incumbents got elected with a lower margin than they had the year, uh, the the cycle prior, and those who were endorsed uh, won by a lower margin than the person that was in that seat before. Now that the latter is a little explainable with name ID and stuff like that. But the point being is my mental model of what the left's uh, gun voter looks like is that it essentially it is not a there, I, I guarantee there are people that come to their political preferences solely on the basis of firearm policy. That that, but it is so infinitely small that what these most of these people are, and just having been in hearings with these folks, I can say is no. These are 
progressives, these are liberals, who also share that particular prior on the issue of firearms. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we, there's a couple of researchers out there who are definitely, well, they're, they're academics, so obviously they're liberal, but there's a couple of researchers <laughs> out there who, you know, like I'm thinking of Gary Kleck specifically, who has put out a lot of good work on specifically defensive gun use and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's that's the apostasy, right? And here it's just, oh, well, they're left wing and they, you know, they, they also have a non-heterodox view in that particular world of firearms. So in other words, there's very little that animates them um, on that issue specifically, but it's part of the console, the portfolio of issues that essentially just makes up the left side of our political spectrum. All right, so uh, we got a couple of things that we want to get to, um, and then I know we're kind of running out of time, so I want to, but I do want to get to them. One is just, and we haven't spent a whole lot of time on the story, but it is kind of a, uh, it was kind of a horrendous story out of Texas, mm. uh, of all places, in, in Plainsview ISD, where a first grader essentially was was, I won't go into the graphic details, but was sexually assaulted. The issue here, and recorded on an iPad, recorded on an iPad. That's why apparently the FBI is involved, and I won't get into the awful details of the story. That all is being, um, of course. Is, um, uh, is all coming out, all those details. What is awful here is that the parents weren't notified uh, immediately of what had happened. Um, and um, there was, you know, there was CPS that was notified. There was obviously, you know, other school officials that were notified. Um, the parents were not notified. And and even after this incident had taken place, that poor uh, first grade girl uh, had to sit there next to her abuser uh, for at least a week and a half, 10 days or so before the parents ever found out about this. And the parents only found out because the, the, the daughter started acting different. And they were trying to ask her, you know, what's going on, sleeping issues, you know, those kinds of things. And they found they got it out of her and once she told them of course they went to the school and then the whole story broke I bring that up to say this is one of the reasons why we are so adamant about parental empowerment about parental rights and this piece of legislation SB8 which is supposedly so controversial because of the school choice issues two thirds of this bill is about parental rights one of the provisions in SB8 would have prevented this because it requires that if a child is in a situation like this um, that that the parents be notified within 24 hours of something like this happening. And this is one of the reasons, I mean, it's unconscionable to think that the mm. parents weren't notified immediately. I'm not sure what the cover-up was about or what they were thinking, um, uh, you know, in, in their investigation or whatnot. But that would be the first thing is to let the parents know about what happened. Um, but that's apparently not the law in Texas right mm. now. And SB8 would, would, has a provision that would change that. So this is, and th- th- I, I can't disagree with anything you said, but one thing I will point out, is that we hear time and time again in this particular space, school choice will destroy the rurals. School choice will destroy the rurals. And obviously it's nonsense. But take this example. Plainview ISD. Viewing the Plains. It's not suburban Houston, right? Mm -hmm. It's not in Round Rock. That is a rural school district. Now, this child... While maybe the the assailant, um, and you know, I'm referring to other children as it's it's, it's still another st- first grader. Yeah, exactly, it's tough. Um, but that child is now stuck in that school. There is no ability outside of you know if there's a some private school up in that area that the parent will have to pay uh, full freight on. There is no ability to extract that child from despite what happened. Mm-hmm. And Without making tremendous sacrifices, as you say, either yeah. financial to go to a private school or to take them in and, and homeschool them. Yeah. Um, without making tremendous sacrifices, they're stuck in that school. Absolutely. And that is the problem with this rural fallacy and the fact that, again, 
if the school if the local school district is doing great and you know i know that it's a, it's a bit of a political deflection but all of the reps say and you know my school district is you know i most of them probably are but what are we doing for, what are we doing for this girl mm-hmm. what are we doing for this girl other than perpetuating a system that she is not allowed to escape from absent uh you know, tremendous sacrifice on behalf of her parents. And and this is just, it lays bare the absolute hypocrisy that we're dealing with in the in the school choice debate. And I agree. I think at the end of the day, it always comes down to choice because without choice, none of these parental rights even really matter if the schools can tell us to pounce in. But I think, but I, but I, but I don't want to short shrift this bill and what the importance of it is, yeah. is that it does give parents these rights and it treats parents um, or, or it, it, it shifts the balance so that parents are being served. And, 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 and the school districts aren't just simply willy nilly doing whatever they want, irrespective of what the parents want. Right. And that, and that it actually does shift on I don't want to say the balance of power necessarily, but at the very least, it, it allows parents to have more information about <clears throat> everything that's going on in schools, the least of which should be when your child is attacked. Yeah. Um, all right. So <laughs> no, I was just going to add, you know, and hopefully, hopefully the legislators that are standing in the way of this, you know, think about this when they, uh, you know, and, but, you know, we've seen the mental gymnastics. They've already taken to justify some of this. So it's not really that surprising. All right. So I want to definitely end on some good news, uh, but I did want to highlight that because I think it's really important that, that, that this legislation, it's not just the horrific act, but that the, there are reforms that could prevent this kind of thing from happening. So uh, definitely worth um, talking about. But I want to end up on some good news. Um <clears throat> Uh, a bill passes uh, in the Senate and in the mm. House uh, to give patients more information about what things cost. And th- in this case, you know, like our, <clears throat> excuse me, our, uh, you know, w- what I what I think we, most of us would prefer is that when you go to the doctor, that it works just like anywhere else, you know, anywhere else where you would spend some money at the mechanic or at the grocery store or wherever, where you know what the prices are before you decide to get the service or the product, right? Like that's what everybody would expect um, outside of emergency services, I think you should be able to go into a place and know exactly what it's going to cost you to have some procedure done or to have some kind of test done. Um, that's unfortunately not what this legislation does, but it does give you an itemized list of what you spent your your money on or what the insurance, uh, <clears throat> what your insurance paid for. That mm-hmm. way you know what things actually cost. So that's, mm-hmm. this isn't, you know, we're not getting the touchdown, we're not spiking the ball here, right. but I think this is a good bill that actually gets us uh, down the field. Yeah, they so they did put an amendment on in the House, so it does need at least a concurrence vote in the Senate. But uh, given Thank what you the, for that procedural stuff that I don't yeah, follow well, I, I was about, well, I mean that's <laughs> what I'm here not just for the good looks, obviously, but the nerd <laughs> stuff too, right? Um, but that bill, it, the amendment they put on it, and this is not to this is not to um, uh, equivocate. The, it made the it you know because sometimes I go oh there's a perfecting amendment you know which is usually code for eh, I don't like something about this bill so I'm going to change it so I at least get something out of it yeah. Uh, but no, this was actually a really good perfecting amendment. It exempted uh, federally qualified care centers who th- basically are not billing people anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're federally, so you know our ability to regulate such is, uh, you know, is a little questionable outside of the, the licensing part. But it also exempts physicians as well, so anybody that has that particular uh, practice. And so this bill, and I believe uh, David did a layout with the author, with uh, Caroline Harris, uh, this bill, our expert Dave Bellotter, healthcare expert. Absolutely, yeah. I should have I should have mentioned that. Um, d- this bill is is fantastic, and again, it's not because it also prohibits uh, collection on places that did not uh, did not um, provide this the mm-hmm. service. And of course, you know, obviously the hospital screamed bloody murder about it, and say, like, you know what, what in what other realm of society? <laughs> 
do I go to like purchase something? You go to Academy Sports, you get yourself a you know a fishing a fishing shirt and maybe a box of <laughs> ammo or something, um, and they go, oh yeah, well the fishing shirt was only sixteen bucks. I got the, I got the Magellan, you know, it's like the the uh, the <laughs> PF, shirt, yeah, the Columbia PFG knockoff, but still a really good product. But then they're like, oh yeah, the ammo is like nine thousand dollars, and uh, yeah, it's not in the caliber you needed, and it's like. Oh, we, and we also charged your credit card already. Yeah, it's already gone through. <laughs> oh, and by the way, pay up now or you're going to collections. Yeah. And so that in and of itself is, I mean, again, that's it seems like an absurd metaphor, but that is exactly that's one exactly for one, Bob. This works. Yeah. And so I have to say that, again, care, this is a freshman carrying this bill. Mm. Now, granted, uh, Representative Harris worked for uh, Senator Hughes, who's obviously a very well-established, uh, successful senator, uh, and actually Who carried the, the Senate bill. Absolutely, <clears throat> and so it's not like you know the whole process is was learned anew here, but the fact that you have a freshman was able to carry a bill of this importance, a bill of this magnitude. I believe the House bill was 1973, if I recall off the top of my head, and 490, I believe, 490 was, the Senate, was bill. the Senate bill. Yeah. Yeah. So they they it, it, I actually was worried because it was one of the ones I was watching. I saw. 1973 get delayed. Uh, uh, Carol, uh, Representative Harris made the motion to delay her own bill, but it was so that 490 could catch up. Yeah, and so they laid out 490 instead, which is great because that takes away you know the process of 1973 having to go through the Senate right. because 490 already had. And so it's one of those bills that again, it's we we say oh it's just common sense legislation. I don't think it gets any more common sense than this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that this is really a blow. Um, a blow for patients' mm-hmm. rights is just, you know, part of the animating principle. I think I, that our legislature has taken up, and we've and we've applauded before, basically saying that look, they're at a point where, again, the, the debate that's you know, yay Obamacare, boo Obamacare. That that that, that the way debate, past that, that yeah, yeah, they're way past it. Now they're saying, what do we do to ensure that not only is there care for people to receive? But that per- those people get uh, care as affordably and fairly as possible, and this is one bill that speaks to that. And and I just want to reiterate that um, you know we have Senator Hughes in the Senate who is um, you know one of the real true workhorses uh, in the Senate. Um, and as, as a kid say, one of the real ones. Yeah, one of the real ones uh, over in the Senate, and of course uh, you know. But then you have that contrasted with with the freshman uh, representative yeah. Caroline Harris, um, who who is you know this is this is a really substantive bill that was somewhat controversial. As you said, I mean, there was a uh, opposition by, you know, an organization like the hospitals. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not that's not you know, cheap organization or um, uh, cheap opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, she really worked, re- worked really hard. So I just think it's a really cool thing to, to highlight yeah. that we had this dynamic both between it, the Senate it, and the it's, House. It's, to be honest done. with you, with the and, I, and I've asked several members uh, in various uh, situations, I, I, I've, I've pointed out that freshmen this year are carrying some big bills mm-hmm. you know whether you're talking about this one um representative Troxclair's, uh you know everyone calls them anti-austin bills well if austin would stop <laughs> messing up so much <laughs> but like even even the one about the the bond debt you know these mm-hmm. are big consequential bills that they are working and these representative Kerry isaac had a had a big win this year uh, uh, the the mm-hmm. di rider on the which that's that right. i mean mm-hmm. arguably that's a, it's a you know but a line in the the 10 the thousand page budget that might be the most consequential. Mm-hmm. It's just really amazing to see, you know, because freshmen for so long have been told to, you know, sit down, shut up, you know, be be seen and not heard. And if you're not seen, fine. Um, <laughs> but now they're, I mean, part of their integration into this body has been 
actually getting good stuff across the finish line. I think that speaks to what things should be run in the future. Well, I hope everybody has the feels now and everybody is uh, <laughs> is, is feeling more positive. Uh, good palate those, cleanser. <laughs> yeah, right, for those last two or three stories that we wanted to, uh, to chat about. So anyway, we've gone way over time, but I thought uh, but that was a really good discussion and there was a lot going on this week and we'll probably have to do it again next week because, you know, we'll have, you, you called it, uh, you called today the Dio, the House Dio de los Muertos. Um, so we'll have that day in the Senate uh, next week and so there'll be a lot of pressure. Yeah, I th- like I said, I think you should just uh, let's see if last night's any indication. Maybe put casino gaming on the uh, on the ofrenda. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on all of that um, and talk about it again uh, next week. As always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you have any feedback for us, you can definitely check us out on social media. Derek and I both have fairly active Twitter uh, profiles and uh, accounts, and so you can get us there if you have any feedback or, or constructive criticism. We'd love to hear you, or even the haters. we love to hear from you guys as well. All right, so we'll see you next time. As always, do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next week.